Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito All right. So you may have noticed <laughs> technical issue that took place somewhere around the 50 something minute mark of, of this podcast. John, would you like to enlighten the people as to what extremely on brand event uh, took place during this episode? Yeah. Um, well, there was some divine intervention and uh, God didn't want me to smirch the good name of Wisconsin, apparently, because I was about to <laughs> think to unload a little bit. Don't worry, I still will. Um, but the power went out here through some wicked thunderstorm and tornado watches. So, and I was without power for man until today, this afternoon. So, yeah, kind of nasty situation. Um, but we're back. Everyone's okay. Everyone's we, we're time traveling, so we're recording this on actual Wednesday, whereas little uh, behind the curtain inside the industry moment here, we actually record the day before we post, if you can no. believe that. Yeah, well, I know. You've outed us, and I think yeah, the other— This will be my last episode. <laughs> yeah, and the, the cool part about getting a, a part two um, is that everything you said yesterday might be stupid, and I, I think a lot it of— is. Is stupid. So that's always usually the case for me, but especially in the in the when you get the benefit of hindsight. So let me quickly go in on Wisconsin, as I was. Yeah. As the good Lord, your thought. As the good Lord did not intend. Um, the, I just had a real beef going back to yesterday about how some of their comments about the article that we were referencing were uh, such that they shouldn't change they have a good thing going they're consistently the you know second best team in the big 10 and for me i was like i guess that's one way to live your life you know there are certainly people probably people colleagues that you work with that you know they get to a certain point and they're like i'm good like I, <laughs> like like life's pretty good i have no bigger dreams or aspirations like i just you create your own ceiling and you're like I'm happy being right here. No higher, no lower. This is good. And I don't know. I just found that just a different mentality I, that I guess I don't think a lot of people can relate to. But it's like they're either not self-aware or they're the most self-aware program that's outside of Iowa that's ever existed. No one will ever be more self-aware than Iowa. That's but, just a fact. Going going further on the details about why that's odd to me that they think that they're the second best because they're deluded in the fact that they were in the worst division their entire uh, tenure in um, the Big 
10 division split. And so they're certainly a good program, not taking anything away from that, but their record against the top six programs outside of themselves over since we've split into divisions, 17 and 22. So mm-hmm. I, I, I'm kind of, they're, I think they kind of forget about when push comes to shove, they're not great in big games, both in non-con and in conference. And they're racking up the Purdue, you know, the Illinois, and until recently, Minnesota was doing dog shit. You know, like mm-hmm. there's racking up wins every season. And there's something to be said about beating the same teams consistently over and over and over. It's not yeah. easy to do, but it's just discounted. Like you have to look at their record every year and just provide a like a weight on it that maybe it's not as great as it seems. And I can totally understand why a guy like uh, Saeed would want to leave a program like that if you saw a program putting a ceiling on themselves. And frankly, well, especially a ceiling in the department that yeah. you are tasked with running. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. he can also look around and say, well, maybe you know maybe we have a delusion deluded sense of ourselves in this place you know and 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 are happy with with uh being good not great and i guess some people are okay with that i mean maybe yeah. there are people in wisconsin that roll out of bed and they're like i like to i like to know that the badgers are going to win eight games and the packers are going to win 10 and no one's ever going to win anything like it matters but you have good teams and maybe yeah, they, they, they get a lot of credit, I think, in the national eye, probably for being in the Big Ten. But to your point, like there, there's a difference in being in the Big Ten East and the Big Ten West. It's a pretty stark uh, difference when you add it up and you just look at the programs that are on either side of this uh, ledger. Uh, you know, it's you probably shouldn't get the credit that you're getting, quite frankly. No, they're 0 and 8 against Ohio State in the last decade. Well, like I, I'm sorry. Some schools have been have worse records against Ohio State, but it's that's for another same. time. Yeah, or <laughs> could it be my program? But nope. like, at what point do you say enough is enough? Like, we got to try something else. And but you know, maybe they just want to be Iowa. And that's where they're happy with. And hey, that's just one way to live life. That's a terrible way to be as a sports fan, in my opinion. Like, can you imagine waking up and knowing, like, you can't win a natty in anything? It's just yeah, that would be a huge – well, I mean, at that point, it's an exercise of futility. What is – what is truly, without that hope, what is the point? So like, the point? Genuinely, what is the point of, of being a sports, a sports fan, fan and torturing yourself? Like, I guess – I think the hard thing for Wisconsin fans is you look at their two best teams of all time. It was put together like the quote unquote Wisconsin way and it didn't work in basketball. Yeah. It, it, it failed. It, it beat a lot of teams one year, one year. I don't know. I mean, like it was, it was, it was okay. It's a good formula and it's a good formula for football too. It's yeah, not a, and it's, it's not just great, it's it's almost like a shame because they have what I have heard is an incredibly cool college town, uh, obviously great academics. The and, only school in their state, they don't have to compete yep. anyone in the state. It's yeah. easy. 
Like you roll yeah, out great of bed. conference. Yeah. You roll out of bed and, and you should compete for the Big Ten West, which they've won four out of the seven years, which is less than you probably would have remembered. Yeah, you true. More often. Owen against ONA against Ohio State, uh, three and two against Michigan State, one and four against Penn State, three and two against Michigan, uh, six and two against Iowa, four oh. and four against Northwestern. Those are the one, uh, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh best records in the Big Ten over the last 10 years. I mean, hmm. congrats. You're four and four against Northwestern. Like, Ugh. that's not a great program. You got to strive for a little better than that. Eating, yeah, I, I mean, I eating the junior version of yourself. <laughs> congrats. You did it. Good job, like, guys. Is that the win? Is that what you guys get up and live for? Is winning the Wisconsin Iowa rivalry? We won a home game. In Champs or in uh, in Evanston again? Yeah, it just seems bleak. Uh, Not for me. I mean, at the very least, you got to try and become the Ohio State. I mean, why? What's worth? What's the point if you're not trying to do that? Yeah, I agree. I don't get it, man. So, John, that was that was our trashing Wisconsin (laughs) minutes. A, a, a segment we love which maybe we should make a staple on this i, I think maybe well we did the we did. Uh, why your team stinks uh um, that's coming up yeah we should probably get ready for that uh, it's about to be that season remind the folks what that is for our newer listeners yeah for the people who may be new to the show um every year right before we play a team we list out why they stink uh, quite frankly, we could be the team. It could be the fans. It could be uh, the city. It could be just because that's how we're feeling in the moment when we're recording. But yeah, that's uh, it's often very fun. We usually put out prompts for the people to write in. We also take them unsolicited. So if you just want to tell us why you hate your favorite team, just or, or your least favorite team, just tweet at us because it's fun right. for us. My favorite is when people who are fans of the team are about to lay into uh, do a little self (laughs) making fun of themselves, like self immolation. Yeah, they're just sitting there and they're like, you know what? I might as well get in on this. I'm not going to. I'm feeling down today. (laughs) (laughs) I've always hated myself a little bit. Yeah, this feels like my fault. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, hey, if you're feeling down and want to get something off your chest, just let us know. We're here. Uh, Anyways. I think it's also time, John, for another one of our favorite things, position previews. Oh, yeah. All right. We're running um, up. You know the season's starting soon. Yes, we are. We are getting close. However, we're also pulling double duty still because we uh, – we, oh, listen, maybe we got a little bit of a late start. Who can blame us for that, really? Honestly. Whom, whomst among us? Wait. I don't know. It was just a nice sabbatical that we usually take. Yeah. Maybe we forgot to start. That's, That's not our fault. Maybe we As got- John has mentioned, he is now a homeowner and a father. I am not, but I don't need to be judged. Hey, you are, um, you know, I'm just setting the course and uh, you, you'll get there. I mean, someday. big life, big life events happening for you soon. Yeah, true. It's true. It's true. It's all on its way. But 
In the meantime, John, we have positions to preview. And today we will be previewing the defensive backs because we talked about Jaden Mangum and that's maybe where he'll play. And then the linebackers. We're going to save the offensive and defensive lines uh, for last. And then, you know, we'll throw the tight ends and special teams in another time. Um, so, yeah, where do you want to start? You want secondary or linebackers? Um, I think I'm going to start with the linebackers because there was a very interesting development today. Mm. And I want to quick talk what about it. It kind of changes the depth chart a little bit for me. Um, Indeed. And it's interesting. It's always great when you're talking about a position group and you're talking about the third stringer already. Right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, Tank Brown uh, is one of the better athletes that has brought onto the roster this year. He didn't play at all for Minnesota last year, but was a top 150 recruit, the highest recruit in PJ Flex class that year. And I think you saw maybe why he didn't play quite yet he you could see his all the tools to become the tank that his nickname is and i think you saw that finally after the strength and conditioning program um photo where you started to say oh i think i know where he could play football really well and being moved from linebacker to the stand-up defensive lineman so i thought that was a huge change or revelation and you made up a really good comparison that i thought was worth talking about yeah i mean well first before we even talk about who the comparison's about i think what it does is it signals once again that this defense is going to remain very multiple um and not just run your standard four three that i think we were so used to seeing forever with the antonio defenses but it is truly going to be uh sprinkling in some some three-man fronts which we saw actually like kind of a lot last year too and if you're going to run those three-man fronts you really need to be able to have those edge rushers that edge pressure uh either from the stand-up spot or if you drop down into that four-man front those defensive ends either way you, they got to get home one way or the other and it seems like tank brown is, is a perfect fit for that type of system which is super exciting and to your point john the guy that i he reminds me of uh, except he's a souped-up version of uh, Brandon Boyer-Randall. Um, MSU fans may remember him before he transferred to, uh, I believe it was Texas Tech. Um, Sounds right. Just, yeah, just a year or so ago. Uh, he was kind of that talented, you know, weird combo pass rusher guy that just never really, like, panned out um, in full. You saw, he, he was one of those dudes that was your, we were always talking about in camp. And saying, oh, man, this talent level, just the raw talent in this guy is unbelievable. But it just never came to, like, the level of fruition I think anybody thought it – or, you know, that anybody thought it, it could. Uh, Tank Brown is is that role. But the talent level, the recruiting, you know, ranking, the general physical measurements – uh, I think separate him from from that comparison, but it is a very similar type of role that they'll be they'll be looking to fill. Uh, so with Tank Brown. So yeah, so with Tank, you know, we'll kind of see where he ends up, but that kind of helps clarify the top two two deep here for the linebackers. And uh, what we do know is you have two really, I would say, polar opposite starters <laughs> in Noah Harvey. Yes. 
and Quavarius Crouch. They both bring, they are going to bring to the table two completely different um, pieces. He, here's what I mean by that. Noah Harvey, he might be a captain. Um, we saw him last year, maybe a bit over his skis, one in a new, uh, entire new defensive team, so I'll give him that. But uh, just from a speed standpoint, it's very difficult uh, to keep up with uh, the Ohio State, uh, Penn State, and really, actually probably more like Indiana and Iowa was struggling yeah. to, to keep up sideline to sideline, much less, you know, the top tier. And so that puts, you know, MSU in a bind. But what he does bring to the table is he does understand and, and knows and seems to be captaining the entire defense. Now, there's value in that. Because Quavarius Crouch is still, as we're understanding, learning the position of yep. middle linebacker. I mean, this is a guy who has all the skill in the world, maybe and probably is the best athlete, um, you know, on the team. And which is saying something. And I mean that from like just a defensive football side of the ball. I mean, you're just like the kid, the guy can run fast. He's an athlete, man. Well, for people who may have forgotten, he was a five star running back recruit. Right. Right. Who made the business decision yeah. to change to linebacker. And yeah. it tells you a lot about the level of athlete that he is, that he was able to not only do that, but then turn around again, not only start in the SEC. Yeah. And yes. It's, yes. It's Tennessee, but it is the SEC start. I think he led the team in tackles or had at least, I know he had over 50 tackles both yeah. seasons, maybe more. And he did all of that with essentially no position coach. Like yeah. if there was ever a guy that needed a position coach, it's the dude who was a running back six months, uh, you know, before his first game in Knoxville. Um, yeah. To me, all of those factors, John, just to to echo what you're saying, that tells you the potential that you've got in this guy. Yeah, man. I mean, this is a guy that has as you just needs to be coached, and what he has, and Noah Harvey next to him is, a, you know, and someone who can help, uh, has a year more experience and, you know, get him up to speed and maybe not have to lean on him to maybe be the captain of the defense, which would might be a, a you're just trying to learn your position, right? Like you're not quite ready to learn everybody's and be able to put people in the right, right. places. That's tough. That's tough, period. So, you know, you have that luxury in Noah Harvey. So, um, you know, that doesn't mean that they know Harvey is guaranteed to start just from a talent perspective because you have another much better athlete in Ben Van Simmeren sitting right behind him. Um, and then Chase Klein is a much uh, reduced version of Quavarius Crouch in the sense that, yeah. uh, you know, I don't want, well, how, I don't want to have to describe him, but a chase down linebacker versus a, a, a some a coverage linebacker. I think um, th- you make a great point with Harvey and um, and Crouch probably being your 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 two starters. And again, it speaks to the fact that this is just a different multiple look. That we're not talking about three linebacker starters. We are truly just talking about two. And I think one of the things I think Quavarius Crouch is going to be extremely good for Noah Harvey. And I also just think Noah Harvey, to your point, John, is going to be really good for Quavarius Crouch. Um, One thing this team does not have just in general is a ton of returning 
experience at Michigan State. Uh, and so the fact that you're a middle linebacker, as poor as he played last year, and we just call a spade a spade, he was bad last year. Just, he just he was. He was also, just like Mel Tucker, dealt an absolutely horrific hand. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy had never been a starter before. Right. He was asked to be the the essentially the defensive captain of a brand new defense, had no fall to install the 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 defense uh, or understand like I would imagine most of the calls that he ended up having to make. He even came out and said it that basically last year he was it was much more um, he was thinking a ton during the game. You'd have to think that after a full off season and like knowing you're kind of going to be the guy with the blue dot on your helmet, you know, making the calls. I think, again, even if it doesn't necessarily improve his general like his talent level, which I don't know that you're going to improve. I will also say Michigan State's had worse linebackers in my lifetime. So Mm. uh, that take that for what it's worth. But uh, his experience alone is going to provide a ton of value for Crouch because he's going to be able to put Crouch in the right places. And Crouch, in turn, is going to provide a ton of value for him because he can be one of two linebackers on the field. This dude can run sideline to sideline with, I'm not speaking hyperbolically, I truly think just about any linebacker in the country. Like he's that level of athlete. This kid was recruited by everybody. He, like I said, he was a running back, all of this stuff. It, it all holds true and it holds legitimate water. Um, so to me that those two are really going to benefit from, from one another. Uh, now with Ben Vance and Marin, I think it's, this one's going to be really interesting. I think you'll find out very quickly. Like, obviously he's, you know, valuable because of what he is as an athlete. Um, but he got moved to fullback at Michigan. Now Michigan is, is also like they, they, I think they'd rather have, if they could play 22 fullbacks, they would just play 22 fullbacks, which I have to respect. One of the only things I respect about them, but I respect it deeply. Um, <laughs> and they, they moved him to that position. So I think, we're going to find out very quickly how much of getting Ben, ben, ben Van Samarin was a, this guy's got to play. We actually think this kid can really play or was this angling for his brother? How much of it was angling for his brother, Alex? Cause I do not think given the amount of emphasis placed on recruiting and just the general like skepticism I have about, uh, I don't know, motivations within college football by coaches um, not everybody's pure of heart. And I, I think that that could absolutely be uh, part of the reason why they really wanted to flip Ben. Yeah. But that being said, he's going to have a real chance to play. I mean, there's yeah. no, whether for better or worse, he is going right. to very much have the opportunity to play and prove out that he's worth the minutes, which well, he might be. He might be. And, and, but really you kind of hit the, it's a pretty light position group. Um, you know, behind him, <clears throat> you're looking at guys who, have really rarely or have never seen the field and Cal Halliday, Cole DeMarzo, and then um, you have two freshmen, Carson Castile, who you might think will likely redshirt. Yeah. But um, May, uh, sorry, help me with the last name. Gay Gaoteote. Thank you. That's what I'm going with. Well, he, you know, he's some that we might want to keep an eye on. I don't know if, I mean, he's the highest recruit in Mel Tucker's. Um, career, I believe, like uh, as a head coach. Yeah. So, um, I mean, does he see the field this year? I can't. I don't. I don't think so. But um, maybe on a special teams role. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's one of those guys that I would expect to play the four games. You know, as a freshman, mm-hmm. 
like where you can still redshirt. Oh, I, I sure, sure. kind of think that that will happen. Yeah. Um, I don't know how early, like, I think if you were approaching this practically, you'd probably say, why waste the year when, you know, you think you'll be good this year, but you really think you can take that next, next step, you know, a year from now. And, uh, you know, when you're targeting the eight, nine, 10 type of win season, uh, rather than the, you know, let's make a bowl game type of season, yep. um, maybe save him for another, for another year. But, uh, at the same point in time, you know, if he's one of your best players, I think we saw it very clearly that Mel is just simply not afraid to play his best player. So I don't know. That'll be interesting. I think a lot of that really does ride on that kind of second tier of Vance Marin and Klein, though, because mm-hmm. Klein, we saw put his hand down in the dirt, uh, not infrequently last year. Um, so depending on kind of where he shakes out. And again, I, I don't know that we'll just call him BVS. I'm not sure that he's a classic linebacker either. So if Ma is, then that mm-hmm. might give him, uh, you know, a little bit more of a leg up in that, in that, uh, department. So I don't know. I think, I think that'll be, that'll be really interesting. I, you know, to this point, um, I, the recruiting philosophy on linebackers is, uh, definitely not like, uh, girth, shall we say most of the linebackers that have been recruited to this point are long rangy, long arm, long leg, fast field coverers. So right. uh, I think we'll find out a lot about the archetype that Mel really uh, wants uh, here this, this year based on who plays. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're, you're right about the, it's a different prototype um, than maybe what MSU had. And, um, you know, you'll start to see with transfer portal and the new freshman coming in, maybe what Mel had in mind. So uh, let's transition here to the secondary because um, a lot of new faces in this yes. this, this group, um, the, the position group that uh, Mel had to plus up the most just by attrition, but also uh, from talent level, Shaq Brown, um, went undrafted, did uh, at least tie, or I believe, yeah, tied for interceptions the Big Ten last year, but was the only player on Michigan State to have any interceptions, I believe. Yeah, I believe so. So um, the group Mel was feeling was quite light um, in talent, and he went and spiced it up by bringing in uh, Chester Kimbrough from Florida, Marquis Lowry from Louisville, uh, Ronald Williams Jr. from Alabama, Kendall Brooks, who attended a Division II school, Kari Crump from Arizona. And that's a lot of guys for one position. Yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, I'm not sure how many of them are going to start uh, out the gates, but um, we do think at least one is probably a shoe in, and that's Ronald Williams Jr., uh, the transfer from Alabama. Yeah, I think this to me is the most interesting position group in terms of who's going to do what. Uh, and I think it's by, like you said, sheer volume of new faces. Um, and it's not just, they went out and got faces. I mean, none of these guys were lightly recruited. Uh, I, I believe they were all at least three stars. Lowry may have been a two star now that I'm thinking about it, but, um, I mean, the, the big names on there are Ronald Williams, and Chester Kimbrough. I mean, these are these are guys that had offers from all over the all over the country, and they're coming from the SEC. I mean, you're talking about a Florida DB, 
Florida, a program that turns out first round DBs every year and an yeah. Alabama DB, another it's Alabama. What else do you have to say? And yeah. he, and actually Ronald Williams comes to, came to Bama by way of junior college. I think it says a ton about his talent level that Bama felt the need to go to junior college to try and get a guy because it's not like they didn't have bodies. I mean, they just put Patrick Sertan in the league as a first round corner this year. Like they, They've got dudes. There's no shortage of good, great secondary players at, at Alabama. So the fact that they were like, oh, no, but we want this guy, I think says a lot. And, you know, the reason he didn't – I think it's also like MSU fans should not feel like, oh, we're just taking scraps from SEC teams. First of all, put your pride aside and and, and yeah. realize that those scraps are, are still very good players. And in reality, those are guys that got positioned out. Like they, they, those positions in the SEC get over recruited every single year, and it's eat or be eaten. This happens all the time. So for MSU to benefit from it, I think is is pretty exciting. But um, I would again kind of give you the, nod, the agree with your nod towards Williams as being one of the guys. He's got the size. He's got plenty of experience. Um, didn't have a ton at Bama, but obviously played a ton in junior college. So he's one of the rare upperclassmen. Uh, I think the next position is really interesting because it's really an open race between Kimbrough, uh, Kalon Gervin, I would think are probably the two that will get like real serious looks. Emmanuel Flowers, I mean, he's a redshirt senior. I don't know how much tick he's going to get, but he's in the mix as well. And then you've got some interesting freshmen in Chuck Brantley and Antoine Booth, who I think uh, we keep hearing about Chuck Brantley. I keep hearing that he's maybe 150 pounds soaking wet. <laughs> and that he's also extremely talented. So again, this is really a position group where I could see any any of these names being good. After what Angelo Gross did last year as like an unheralded recruit coming in and, and providing tremendous value, and frankly, after what we've seen from guys like Josiah Scott in the past, like I wouldn't be surprised who ends up any combination of people end up starting here. But corner, corner, I think is the most wide open one. I think the safeties and the nickel position are a little bit more evenly uh, or a little bit more predictable, I should say. Yeah. I mean, Michael Dowell's kind of had this position and he's been on the two deep at this position for his entire career. It feels like uh, he's probably going to start at the nickel here. Uh, you know, he's had big shoes to fill uh, with his two older brothers. Um, he's going to have to continue to try and fill their legacy because um, they're going to need him to take a leap, I think, this year uh, in, in development. Um, behind him, we, we thought that maybe Chester Kimbrough could be slotted at the nickel position. And um, you're also looking at you know, Darius Snow, who is one of the higher-rated higher recruits in last year's class, yep. a few four-stars. Uh, this is a place that you think you would hope you'd be able – he could crack the top two. Um, yeah. so that wouldn't be easy, uh, but you want to start to see maybe if he can see the field this year. Yeah, I think Dowell is a really interesting case because, uh, you know, he he's a big dude. Like to and, and to be a DB at that size when you're not a burner and he's certainly not slow and you and he's also not afraid to get physical. Like he to me is is a guy that. I like he might play the nickel and Chester Kimbrough also might play the, the quote unquote nickel, but I don't know that it's really the same position. Like I think Kimbrough would be in there to do more of the actual coverage. And maybe even if Kimbrough isn't the nickel, he might be the fourth corner, which would end up 
getting him more actual coverage and tick probably than Dowell. So I think that there's this interesting gray area between kind of the third and fourth DB uh, spot here in a four, two, five, where there's just a lot of DBs and kind of those combo hybrid, the same way that there's linebacker defensive lineman combos and hybrids. There's kind of this DB down in the box linebacker hybrid that I think Dowell kind of, kind of fills that role. And I think to be honest with you, Darius Snow is a dude I'm really keeping an eye on because Mm -hmm. He was highly recruited, um, came all the way from Texas, but he was, you know, he's obviously related to Eric Snow, uh, former Michigan State point guard. I think he's his nephew. Um, And he looks like he's in great shape, too. And he's in a lot of these highlight videos that they're posting. He's um, flies to the ball, not afraid to hit. I think he kind of fills that that role pretty, pretty effectively. So, um, yeah, I think that's. That's a lot of good names. I mean, at least one thing that we can come away with more, you know, this year as opposed to the previous is you're looking at a group of players where there is obvious talent here. Where it all fits together, we're not going to find out until uh, that first game. But I think we can feel a lot better about what's going on uh, from a talent perspective on the roster there. Um, than we did in previous years, so it's pretty exciting. Well, massive upgrade, you know, even from last year. It, it, you know, like you yeah. feel good about the two deep, and you know the the other fun thing, eh, fun maybe is the wrong word, but when you have that many guys that are transferring in, that's a lot of wild cards. You're, you know, you, Big time. you might really hit on somebody uh, you don't know. So that's yeah. also exciting. Yeah, I think the fun of a year like this, and then we'll talk about this, this the safeties here in a second. The fun of a year like this is all of the sorting out that gets done to me. That's what I, I've kind of always felt that way when the roster, you know, maybe isn't perfect, but there's obvious talent there. And it's it's always like fun and exciting to see who ends up popping and kind of bringing them, playing themselves to the forefront. I mean, like think about it from previous years, like who thought Felton Davis was going to be this untouchable monster at one point in his career. Josiah Scott already made that uh analogy and and drew that line i mean connor cook at one point in time it's happened jeremy langford out of nowhere who i constantly reference on this show um yeah there's just it's it's an exciting year and i I think actually to transition one of those names we mentioned earlier is is already one of the biggest surprises on this death chart and that's angelo gross who is at this point in time seems like written in in pen to be the starter at free safety alongside uh xavier henderson at strong safety yeah i mean he came felt like bursting out of the scene uh, as you mentioned uh was not a huge recruit by any stretch he was a three-star nationally uh, uh out of ohio and you know i think people weren't ready for a guy like him to burst onto the scene and kind of became uh you had to play you know you you couldn't take him off the field at a certain point and that's great transitioning him to free safety and being confident in that out of a sophomore is uh, maybe confidence a, a bridge too far, but it's, <laughs> it's a good feeling to, to be able to say like, okay, we think we got the guy here for the next three years. Like yeah. That one posi- in position. That's, that's great. Um, so yeah, he'll be competing, you know, with a few other guys, but you got to feel pretty good about it. But Kendall Brooks, you know, you, know a bit more about his background and 
and Michael Gravely Jr., a true freshman, seeing if he can uh, get on the field, as you mentioned, probably for those four freebies at the very least. Yeah, I, I think this is an area where you kind of experiment in the, the back end because there's not as many natural safeties. And I think, um, again, I think you can kind of tell by the recruiting that this is still an area of emphasis uh, for the team. But um, I, I think an interesting – well, first of all, Angelo Gross has an awesome nickname, which is the Sugar Weasel. Um, I think that's incredible. It's like the play on the Honey Badger. I will be using it ad nauseum so prepare yourselves for that um so that's super exciting and then i i don't want xavier henderson to get like lost in the shuffle here again we talk about like a lack of just like overall michigan state experience xavier henderson certainly doesn't have that this is a dude who's for more or less or for all intents and purposes been a four-year starter for msu um huge opportunity for him as a senior to be like a real leader and kind of the standout member of this secondary uh, and, and quite frankly, uh, bump his draft status up. Uh, I think he has all of the skills to get drafted. Again, he was a super highly recruited player out of Ohio once upon a time um, and good enough to play as a true freshman. So like, he's, he's, he's a guy who has as much – I think he has as much personally on the line this season as anybody on this team, uh, this side of Anthony Russo, I would say, in terms yep. of proving out their professional and improving their professional stock. So uh, yep. big opportunity there. Um, now behind them, yeah, Kendall Brooks is like a really interesting case because he comes from D to, uh, the Northwood in Northern Michigan. And he's, he's big. Like everybody says that his measurables in terms of just sheer size speed combo, it doesn't make sense that he was at, at that school. Um, he's got a D one, uh, athleticism profile. Now, whether that translates, he might be fast, but the game is certainly going to be fast for him. So I think that's that's the biggest thing. Like it's it's hard. Yeah, he's an upperclassman. It's hard to anticipate like a major contribution from him because just the speed from D two. You also have to treat him like a tr- true freshman, like a D two transfer to not even one double A, like D not FBS to FCS, like D two. Mm-hmm. Uh, that transformation and that step up in speed to the Big Ten, especially the Big Ten East, is going to be pretty significant. Yeah, that's hard to overcome. Uh, transferred from North Greenville University in Tigerville, South Carolina. Mm, so I just completely made that up then. No, oh, but I just wanted to have reason to say Tigerville, South Carolina. I mean, that's just an awesome name for a place. So um, I so I was just very wrong about that. What else is new? Still well, a preseason for us too, folks. It's, we're trying our best here. Um, Got to think Clemson Tigers had something to do with Tigerville, South Carolina. I don't know. I can't get it out of my head. I'm so, surprised they are not located in Tiger. Yeah, right. What's going on here? Um, okay, so we we don't know what we have here. You know, as we mentioned, a couple of different transfers. Especially, don't know from transfers from uh, division it's below division one. Uh, could be surprised. Who knows? Uh, but you know, you, the good news is you're not relying on it. So that's good. Uh, yes. The we mentioned one. Uh, we're going to do the other safety here. Uh, the two deep, who one's a familiar name, but um, but the but the sorry, the backups uh, are the ones that were like, I don't know how we're feeling. Yeah, it's well, it's just there's there's once again there's just no proven talent on this in this safety group aside from like honestly aside from 
Xavier Henderson, I mean, you're talking about Tate Halleck. We don't know much of anything about Michael Gravely is a true freshman. Um, AJ Kirk, we've heard tossed around at safety and kind of at that downfield nickelback. Uh, I think this is an opportunity too. I, I also wouldn't be surprised if they kick um, really any of these DBs, like this group of freshmen down there. Um, and start playing them at safety, like an Emmanuel, even though Emmanuel Flowers is literally like a sixth year senior, but I would not be surprised if they moved him between Lowry Brantley. I actually wouldn't be shocked either. Cause he's got some size. Um, so who knows? I mean, it's really, this is going to be, and, and the scary part about your safeties, I think being so unknown, uh, sure I understand. Oh, Siri, I'm not talking to you. Um, <laughs> I'm t- uh, to be so unknown is that that's your, I mean, it's called safety for a reason. This is your safety valve. This is your last line of defense. When you are playing against receivers, the caliber of Chris Olave and these other, uh-huh. uh, you know, uh, Jahar Dotson and these incredible big receivers that are in the big 10, um, you need guys that will not let the, the quote unquote top get blown off your defense. And it becomes especially important when you don't have a dominant uh, front seven. So you can't place that great pressure on opposing quarterbacks. You're going to have to be able to cover. So uh, it's this delicate balance. And um, we don't know what we have in that front seven. I think it could be a good group. We'll talk about the defensive line uh, next week. But that being said, again, not a, you know, I don't think we're talking about uh, the 2000 Ravens here. We're, we're, we're not, we're just not sure what we have. So it's, I think if you're looking for flaws on this team and you're looking for maybe areas of concern, I would, I would throw the secondary uh, right at the top of that list because I think there's a ton of talent here and they could very well surprise, but it's just so many new guys uh, all in all playing potentially, you know, seriously for really the, the first time. And a lot of them in a, in a brand new environment between the freshmen and the transfers. So uh, a, a lot to unpack there for sure. Yeah. I think and then we think the other big unknown is the CB2 spot. And yeah, your boy, Kalon Gervin just hasn't quite grabbed that position the way you had hoped he would the past two, three years, two years. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's he just can't really seem to stay healthy, and he doesn't have tremendous measurables. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think he's a perfectly capable college corner, but, like, mm-hmm. I don't think he's this – this maybe maybe he was a little overbilled uh, mm-hmm. as, a, as a recruit. But I still think – listen, if Kalen Gervin is your third corner, which it could very well turn out that he is, like, I think you're doing you're, – you're, yeah. you're not in a terrible position, you know. Mm-hmm. Again, you're not. This is in Alabama, but you're you're. We've had many worse defensive back cores than if that's the case. I would argue, as a matter of fact, when you go back to that team that went uh, to the college football playoff, look at the DBs that they were rolling out in that game. If you remember, Arjun Colhoun was playing a lot in that <sighs> season. Let's so let's let's stop this before I get carried away and start talking about more terrible players. Poor Jermaine man. Edmondson, you just should have paid for your own food, Jermaine. Dude, these guys catching strays for no reason. Sorry, oh. Sorry. this is this bad. This is now we know it's time to sign off. Exactly. So 
we're, we're as we mentioned, we're we're uh, only a couple position groups away here from closing in on the season. And if you look at your calendar, we are uh, three weeks from kickoff. So, oh my God. Yeah, it's coming quickly. Um, Enjoy it, folks. Enjoy your three weeks. <laughs> also, we should quick caveat. Um, we said a lot of stuff about Amani Bates yesterday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I stand by. You know it's you know it's bad when in the same episode you're apologizing for takes you made pre the accuracy of the takes you put on record previously. So I apologize um, for nothing. Uh, I stand. I wanted to note that I stand by all of it. And and same. And and uh, you know nothing's determined quite yet. But uh, put it not, on my permanent record. <laughs> Exactly. My take record. I want this reflected accurately. Oh, that's a. I wouldn't hate to look at that for my. Own. I really hope I didn't just make somebody look all that up because that'd be very bad. <laughs> awesome. Well, all right. Same time next. I think week, that's it, John. But without, uh, but without the, the power outage this time. Next yeah, time. preferably without the storms. Perfect. All right. All right, guys. Thanks as always for sticking with us. Uh, for John, this has been Austin, and we'll catch you next time. Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical.